The uh, scripture reading is uh, John's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. The Good Shepherd and His Sheep. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep haven't listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you all speak to us. We thank you for your word. It's a light for our path. It is food for all that we are. And we pray that it will be so for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I was wrestling with uh, how we might approach th this text that, that Bob just read for us. Um, the, the way we normally do that, uh, just as a matter of how we read the Bible, is we, we hold the text in one hand and we hold all that's happening in the world in our lives in the other hand and we, and we try to bring them together. That's the whole point. And, and, and what often emerges from there is a, is a bit of a question. And with today's text, I can't get past a really big question. And it, what's life all about? Um, and of course, that's a really silly question in some ways. It's one of those overly big catch-all questions. What's life all about? And it can, seems to, the only thing you see can answer that is so those silly little cliche answers. You know, what's life all about? Oh, I know the answer. I learned in Sunday school. It's Jesus, Bible, God, uh, 42. That's what life is all about. Um, but for some reason, and so I normally wouldn't do this. I'd, let's narrow it down. But for some reason, I can't run past it. Because I think that this question, what's life all about, is actually and a relevant question in our current context. But I want to avoid the cliche of it. And I read the, a, a book a few months ago now. I think it was by Ronald Rollheiser, if those people who like authors. And he asked and answered a question similar to this. Except he talked about three big stages in life. In the first stage, he talks about our younger years, where we ask, who am I? Who do I become? 
And it's, it's the sort of question that we help our youth to ask. And most of the times, churches are pretty good at getting us to ask this sort of youthy question. You can belong to Jesus. That's what life's all about. You can find out your gifting. You can know your calling. God has a plan for your life. Uh, have you heard variations of that theme? Yeah. And that's well and good. So that's the first stage of our life. In the latter stages of our life, as we get towards our twilight years, we start thinking about legacy and how do we leave behind something that will last beyond us? How do we give our death away, is how Rollheiser talks about it. And we want to be given to something bigger than ourselves, and that's good too. But for most of our lives, Rollheiser says, as adults and grown-ups, I mean, my Miriam's learning about this because she's 18 now. She's officially an adult. Just to embarrass you, my girl. Um, most of our lives, in those middle years between our youth and our twilight times, we're asking a question like this, and it sounds more like this. How do I do life well? How do I spend my life effectively? How do I give these years I have to something important? What will be the most useful, beneficial, fruitful use of my limited time, energy and situation? And I think questions like that are occupying us at the moment. In this great big time of COVID reset, with an unsteadiness of economy, with the unsteadiness of environment, with the unsteadiness of world politics, those big questions matter. What is life all about where everything else is unsteady? And there are conversations I'm seeing and having and hearing and shifts in how we're viewing our lives, how we're viewing our careers and our plans for family and about where we live and why. All those questions are about how do we spend our life? Because what is it all about anyway? And in the light of that, the big assertion of the Christian gospel is actually quite simple. What is life all about? To what do I give my life so that it's fruitful and worthwhile? And the answer, just like in Sunday school and just like in the days of the zeal of our youth, is Jesus. But no longer a cliché. No longer just a vague dream to dream as we lay in our beds as teenagers wondering what life had stretched out before us. But rather Jesus as a companion on our way through those middle years. As our leader, as a leader of me and of you and of us together, as captain of my soul and Jesus as the one to whom I have devoted my limited time, energy energy. And situation. How do I give my life to something worthwhile? I give it to him. So I wonder if this is what we hold in this hand as we hold our Bible passage for today in the other and bring them together. Today we've come to the next in the series of John's Gospel where Jesus talks about himself with his I am sayings. And we've come to a, a new arc in the narrative of John's Gospel. And there's two I am sayings in this part of John's Gospel. Uh, next week, Nick is going to pick up on it and talk about how Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. 
which speaks of how he leads us through life as a shepherd caring for his sheep. But in this current arc as well, there's another question, and it interacts with what's life all about. This question is in play. And the answers that are given to it have a bit of a conflict in them. There's a conflict in the story that we've got to in John's Gospel. As we get to the reading that, that, um, uh, that, was, that Bob read for us, um, the context is that Jesus has healed a blind man. Now that alone is remarkable and something to explore, but for our purposes, what we need to know that Jesus has done it in a particular way. He has healed the man on the Sabbath, and he has healed this blind man by spitting into the dust, making mud, and putting mud on the man's eyes. And he was doing it this way because Jesus Christ, meek and mild, was actually quite deliberately provocative. And on this day, he is deliberately provoking the Pharisees. Jesus is drawing on the deep roots of his Jewish tradition and the Old Testament scriptures, and he's making a point about life. What is life all about? Not only is it something that's caught up in the promise of a blind man being made to have his eyes open, but it's caught up in the purpose of the Sabbath on which he healed him. See, what is life all about? Well, to be human is to be in the image of God. And the image of God is magnified in us as we do as God did, as we work and as we rest. And in our rest, we pursue not just the absence of activity, but the fullness of peace and the very real presence of God and each other. What is life all about? It's about a Sabbath rest in which we desire God. And Sabbath, even in its simplest form of laying down the tools and equipment and our very arms and feet of life, expresses that desire for God in the enjoyment of rest and our renewal in him. Sabbath orients our life towards God. And so on the seventh day of the week, God's people took their Sabbath. It was a rhythm of life. Life is not about strive, 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 or perform, perform, perform. It's about the fullness of life lived at peace and covered by the wholeness and joyousness of God himself. Which is why it is right for Jesus to heal a man on the Sabbath. It's a Sabbath-like thing to do. It expresses in this blind man a renewal in him, a shalom of restoration and recreation. Jesus gives this man a Sabbath gift. But all of that life collides with a conflicting longing in the heart of the Pharisees. For them, life is shaped around their own constructs of what is important. Their yearning is the pursuit of boundaries, of determining who is in and who is out so that they can be safe. For them, the Sabbath is a point of pride, a point of asserted identity, and it is to be protected by regulation and minutiae. 
and it's a warped logic. You can't work on the Sabbath, therefore you're not allowed to make bricks on the Sabbath. Therefore you're not allowed to make mud on the Sabbath, therefore you're not allowed to spit on the ground on the Sabbath. Spitting breaks the rules. And so when Jesus heals, he doesn't just say a prayer, he spits on the ground and he makes mud. And it's provocative. He's basically saying very deliberately and plainly, you Pharisees are doing life wrong. So with mud on his fingers and a healed blind man in front of him, it makes it quite clear, you Pharisees are the blind ones here spiritually blind and what is worse you think you can see because of your self-made virtue and it's at this point that we get to our reading and Jesus starts to spin this word picture of a sheep pen a sheepfold a place where you bring the flock to be uh, to, to gather them to yourself for the night It's a metaphor about living life in a way that is covered and shaped and led by God. In fact, led by Jesus, the Good Shepherd, which Nick will speak on next week. And this was a common metaphor. It's in the gut language of God's people, even in the Pharisees. Think of Psalm 95, where God's people sing, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for we, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. That's who we are. That's what life is all about for those who sing the Psalms of God's people. And Jesus puts this picture in front of them. God's people covered and secure in a sheepfold, living out their Sabbath rest. And he confronts the Pharisees. You're not coming to this way of life in the right way, Pharisees. You're like a stranger in the sheepfold. A thief and a robber who has climbed over the world, over the wall. You've got all the right religious aesthetics and claims to virtue. And you colour your thoughts about what is right and wrong with a spiritual bravado and certainty, but you've got the heart of it wrong, Pharisees. You can't come to God on your own terms, constructing your own path. No one who means well does that. People with a real sense of what it means to live life according to the Sabbath goals of God come through the gate and I tell you he says I am that gate I am that gate to that Sabbath joy you Pharisees are like thieves who only come to steal and kill and destroy but I have come that you might have life and life to the full at that abundant life Sabbath life You Pharisees have got it wrong. There are times in the gospel where you, go, you finish up reading and go, no wonder they tried to kill him. But can you see the collision? Can you see the conflict between life at Jesus' feet and a life that might look godly but is actually self-deluded? 
a life with open eyes set on the open gateway that is Jesus, or of spiritual blindness topped up with claims of knowledge and insight. What is life all about? So this morning, can I get you to ponder this big question and to avoid the cliched Sunday school answers? It is a good question. And if we let it poke and prod us, it might reveal some of our blindness and our prejudices and our self-delusions. Perhaps like the Pharisees, we're coming at it all wrong as we, we wrestle with how we will spend our time, our energy, our relationships, our choices in life and all the other things that are a part of this moment. In some ways, the whole church Christian thing might actually make this question harder. You see, if God didn't exist, or if he exists but remains aloof, or if he had sort of simply just sent a few wise words for someone to put in a book sometime, it would be easy. Because in that world, there is no sheep pen at all. There is no Sabbath rest. There is no people of God. There is no collision. Just choose whatever you want to do. Seek your own path. Put on whatever religious aesthetic you like. Get together with those who are basically get get together with those who you basically get along with, and step into whatever moments your own strength can muster before life runs out. It's quite a dire picture, but it's easy, or at least simple. And to be honest. That sounds like the default shape of how we often treat life. Find your path. Get together with those you like and walk the way you want. Even Christians buy into it. Churches certainly do. But the problem with that is that God is real. And he hasn't remained aloof. And he has bothered to care. And he has called to himself a people and a family and... Here we are, together with a number of brothers and sisters who have joined us for the day. Our yearning, our desire, our joy is to live life now inside this sheep pen that we can't define around us. It's a sheep pen of God's reality. And almost whether we like it or not, that is what life is now about for us. God's reaching out, God's call and God's presence. That's what matters. exactly how that manifests, what that looks like. Well, that's the wrestle and joy of walking with God. But I tell you, the basic truth of it is still the basic truth of it. Jill and I just spent a week at a retreat centre in Wales at a place called Falderbrennan. I don't know if you've heard of it. Falderbrennan literally means sheepfold of the king. And it was a sheepfold for us. It was a week where the God's Sabbath life was something we could enter into in a very real and profound way on a hillside in Wales. But as a church, you and I and us together, our call is similar. We are called to manifest a real-life Falderbrennan here in Sheffield. 
And not just making a Sabbath reality on a Sunday, but in every aspect of what we do. The people of God's peace, God's rest, and God's simple presence in our midst. And thus we become a sheepfold of the king, a Fowderbrennan, or a city on a hill that shines God's life around us, a light that's not under a bushel, and all the other things that Jesus talks about. And the lesson from Jesus provoking the Pharisees isn't that they didn't long for the same thing. They did. It's just they tried to make it happen themselves in their own strength, in their own corrupted sense of right, wrong, good, bad, virtue and vice. They jumped the fence into their version of God's will and patting themselves on the back for making it in. Don't do life like that, Jesus says. I am the gate. I am the one who makes you into that sheepfold. Now, there's nothing new under the sun. The Christian world is full of movements trying to make their own way into God's Sabbath rest. If only we generate the right atmosphere. If only we have an entertaining Sunday. If only we sing the right songs. If only we line up with the right sense of justice. If only we fly the right flags, retweet the right campaigns, or faithfully follow the right liturgies, we will get into what God's plan is. We are experts at religious aesthetics, you see. But Jesus says, I am the gate. And none of those Christian things matter if they're just part of our self-reliance. Rather, we come to Jesus and he makes it happen. Everything else the songs, the justice, the social media, everything, our careers, our schools, our homes, our families, everything that makes up life for us flows firstly to him and from him. Anything else, no matter how virtuous it looks, no matter how holy or just or tolerant or pleasant, doesn't lead to life. It ends up stealing our heart or leading us away from the truth that God offers. So what is life all about? It's about Jesus, the Sunday school answer. And through him, because he is a gate, his Sabbath intention for us is life in abundance. It's for us to live. As we draw this thought to to an end, I'm well aware that later on today, uh, as our time comes to an end, um, we're going to be celebrating with Martin and Eva. And uh, part of that celebration is the fact uh, that they have been married for 10 years this week, right? Yeah, I saw the photo on Facebook. And in the image of marriage that Martin and Eva are kindly being a visual aid for us for today, we see observed in a particular way a manifestation of that abundant life intention of God. But let's explore that imagery of marriage. The strength of Martin and Eva's marriage doesn't lie in the fact that they filled out the right forms one day. It doesn't doesn't even lie in the aesthetics of their marriage, the externals of the fact that they share a last name and probably have a joint bank account. The strength of their marriage actually comes, you know, from being married. 
from being in a holistic union, a oneness of a marriage relationship. They are a gateway for each other into the abundant life of who they are. So how much more then does that image of marriage inform all of us in all our ages and stages and family situations what life is all about? It's not about Christian games or aesthetics or habits. The gateway for us as individuals and as a church into the abundant life that God has for us is Christ. Our oneness with Christ. Our union with him. Jesus is the gateway. So I don't think this is a bad question. Life is uncertain. There is much at stake. We're working out what we actually care about in these days and what we actually desire. And I can't play out all the possibilities of what's coming next, but I do know this. The path to life begins with Jesus, especially for Christian communities like ours, and it's not always something we can take for granted. It's not always a gate that we open. So the invitation today then is simply to put down our pharisaicism, our self-generation, our pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps mentality, to lay down our comfortable self-sense of virtue and to renew, if you like, the wedding vow of Christ with his church and to give ourselves to him. Jesus is your way. And we can pray that. Jesus, your way, dependent on you, or not at all. Jesus, we pray, it's all about you, or not at all. Jesus, we pray, it's by your name and in your strength, or not at all. Jesus, it's for your glory and the manifesting of your heart, or not at all. Jesus, it's through the power of your spirit, or not at all. Lord Jesus, be the centre of who we are. Amen.